attention, children. It is the second week of camp, and I am very displeased at what I am seeing out there. Specifically, what I am not seeing. Where do all these campers keep running off to? Estrella, Moro, Shine. All three of you are in big, big trouble should you happen to return and still be alive and not be vengeful ghosts. Now to uh, mitigate the number of missing campers, I'm instituting new rules. One, no more unsupervised play. Two, no more drug cartels. They don't belong at camp. Quite honestly, I don't know why they were allowed in the first place. And three, under no circumstances will there be any more haunted graffiti allowed. Ah! Holy hell! Who brought that tiger to camp? Hello, welcome to Bunk 237, Ah, horror movie podcast, the fantastical, maybe real summer camp that we created in our heads so we could sit cross-legged in the dark and talk about horror movies. I'm Thuit Nguyen, you can call me Too Yet. Yay, and I am Robin Zlotnick, <laughs> your co-host. Um, and our wonderful guest today is Prince Jackson. He is the owner of Good Night Life and a podcaster for Bloody Disgusting. Thank you so much for being here. We're very excited to have you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is honestly super crazy excited to do this, and I am looking very much forward to talking about the film we will be talking about. <laughs> oh my God, me too. And speaking of, to yet, what are we watching today? Well, thank you for that prompt that I asked you to do earlier before we started recording. <laughs> today, You're welcome. I remember to do it. <laughs> you nailed it. You nailed it. Uh, but then I ruined it by calling you out. No such thing. But the movie that we're watching today is we are watching Tigers Are Not Afraid, uh, written and directed by Issa Lopez. It is a dark fantasy tale centering on a gang of orphaned children caught up in a Mexican cartel violence and the very real monsters created every day by the drug war. This is a very decorated film. It premiered in 2017 at Fantastic Fest, where it won Best Horror Director, hashtag Women in Horror. From there, it just kind of kept winning so many awards at so many festivals. I think uh, the last number I saw was 51 in total. And then it premiered on Shudder in 2019. Um, and it's just been getting great reviews from there. So that's to say, this is a pretty good movie. That it is. Yeah. And Prince, you picked this. You brought this to us. So I did. what brought you to it? Yeah. So what specifically brought me to this um, film is just how absolutely enamored I get when I watch it and it is it's something that you quite have not seen before like it, it's very interesting especially coming from the director um, Issa Lopez and I mean I, I'm very excited for her next film uh, which has to do with westerns and werewolves I'm just like sign me yeah, up and her. produced by Guillermo del Toro <laughs> that's right yeah. who is a big fan and you can see the influence for oh, sure totally. I oh, mean yeah. like Watching it very heavy, and I was like, oh, there's Pan's Labyrinth. There's the Devil's Backbone. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but also it was like, oh, there's the Goonies, and there's the Lost Boys, and yeah. there's like yeah. Stranger Things, and just like, I love kid gangs, you know? And it's perfect. It's perfect. It's so good. I think um, I think Jonah Baez, actually the first guest that we had on Bunk 237, recommended this movie to me 
a couple of years ago, and I just didn't watch it because <laughs> I don't listen to what Jonah says, apparently. <laughs> but I'm Sorry, so Jonah. glad, Prince, that you brought us up because I loved it so much. So this was your first time seeing this? Yes. Oh, amazing. Yours yeah. as well, too, yet? My, yeah, mine as well. Oh, and fantastic. Yeah, it was such a good watch. As I think, like as a horror fan, I can take a lot of I can take a lot of gore, like fucking buckets of blood, bring it on. <laughs> but like any sort of any kind of like shimmer of real world violence, like gang violence, like you know, the drug war is a very real thing. Um, these border towns, the violence, these ghost stories, those are real stories, um, and that makes me very nervous like I can't like true crime I like true crime but I can only do so much like that's what keeps me up at night you know what I'm I mean the same way I'm yeah. the exact same way and when when the real stuff starts happening within this film I think that's why I'm so drawn to it is because it's such even though it's very much a fairy tale it's very much a dark fable right yeah. but when the real life horror is incorporated it gets so grounded so very quickly and it kind of just like snaps you out of it and just like oh yeah they're like dealing with some real life shit oh sorry can i cuss on this i'm sorry oh absolutely <laughs> oh, okay cool hell yeah um, you can uh, <laughs> so uh, when they're dealing with this it, it, it just makes you feel for these kids and the fact that it's only kids that they're that they're that you're, i guess that we're watching which can be one terrifying because it's just like oh my gosh they're so vulnerable they're young how are they going to get out of this their parents were literally slaughtered some right in front of them and it's just it's so mind-boggling to see how everything is just represented within this film and the fact that it took Issa Lopez like extremely hard to have this film be shown to people just boggles my mind as well because I feel like this was just a slam dunk home run like this definitely should have just been in Fantasia Fest years ago because uh, I believe it was something like maybe a year and a half or two years that she tried to get this film to Fantasia and they just kept like nope 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 or fantastic excuse me um, and she was just trying multiple different types of uh, festivals and all of them were cutting her out and they just didn't want to give her the chance and then once she sent it to Guillermo and he checked it out. That's when it was just like, okay. Do you know what? So I read, I read a, I read a few reviews uh, of yeah. this film before watching it, and I find that reviews, specifically of like women directors, right. um, tend to be a little harsher. And I don't know if I'm just like, if I'm just seeing that, but I found there oh, were a no. lot of reviews that really talked about the pacing of the film, and they were like, and everyone of course talks about the big sort of Guillermo del Toro influence and where that came from, but it was like many reviews cited that the middle was a little bit lacking. There was a lack of urgency and a lack of buildup and suspense. They're um, wrong. What? They That's, are wrong. I agree. I agree that they're they wrong. Garbage. Right? But I read <laughs> multiple, <laughs> multiple reviews on like big websites, big reviews. Like I think on RogerEbert.com was one where it was like, it's an imperfect movie and there was a lack of urgency. And I was just like, are we watching the same These movie? People, they're right. not. I think these people are not understanding that maybe it was billed to them as like a horror movie, you know, right. and not like a gorgeous fairy tale, <laughs> like heartbreaking fairy tale right. that also is kind of scary, yeah. <laughs> you know. But then, see, because that's interesting that it was like, oh, but it took Guillermo del Toro, this like big man in horror and mm. fantasy to be like, hey, this is a good movie for people to check that out. And I think that's a very interesting thing that and happens it's a wild lot. because this movie is so similar to his and he's so celebrated. Right. 
Yeah. Right. Like, I've never heard anyone like, say anything bad about Pan's Labyrinth. And I'm like, I think it's the same movie. Like, it's very... Right. And that, that's the unfortunate times where when it when there are women in film who just have made just bonkers stuff, just some fantastic things. I mean, Slumber Party Massacre 2 was ma- filmed by a woman. And that's just like, what? <laughs> it's, it's just like, it, it feels like such a misogynistic movie. But it's just like, no. Like, this is totally a woman's vision. But um, it's it's... Aspects that I feel like that aren't given the chance and the light of day to really allow that to shine through when it comes to films by women. Because the same thing to me happened to The Babadook. And I remember how hard I advocated for The Babadook to come here to the States. And when we finally got something like that, it's just like, yo, like this is dope. And then Karen Kasama, who got bashed for making Jennifer's body and now it's a cult classic and you're just like well where were you in 2009 yes (laughs) exactly and this actually this brings us back around to the movie in question because like Mm -hmm. there's a lot of this subtext of like the male ego versus female resolve especially between Mm -hmm. Estrella Mm -hmm. and like Shine Um, and especially like and the specific danger that that women and girls are in as well yeah absolutely um, and, like, when she first comes to the little boy gang for help and they're, like, chicks are bad luck and, like, and they don't want her because right. she's, like, this young woman. And she yeah. has to, like, go above and beyond to prove herself where she has to, like, you know, kill Cacao or when she says yeah. she's going to kill him. But on some level, you can't blame the the little boys either because they're just trying to survive and she right. will make it harder for them. The other gang, the older boy gang and like what I call the Foot Clan warehouse where they're like <laughs> just like the burning piano which we'll get back to in oh, a second but so like <laughs> when they when they encounter like the older boy gang the older boy gang continues to perpetuate this idea that like girls can't be in gangs and girls can't be tough or whatever. Mm-hmm. She is like constantly proving herself over and over again and then she does you know, she does survive all the way to the end. And she's a fantastic final girl on top of that. Like, she, she's just so crafty, Truly, yeah. so smart. And it's funny because even though, like, Shine was the leader of this group, like, you could definitely tell, like, a couple of his friends were probably older than him within the group, yet he was the leader of it. And when the Straya came, like, she was, like, she was pretty much big sister. And it was some conformed her quick a lot quicker than Shine did. Shine had his guard up and was just like, "Yeah, you're just another mouth to feed or whatever." And it's just like, you know, getting mad at um, uh, gosh, I'm blanking on his name, but oh, it was so heartbreaking when when he passed. But the, uh, the little boy, oh, you're talking about oh, little Morrow, Morrow, oh. yes, Morrow. Oh, just oh my god, like, talk oh. about like cute kids. Too. <laughs> seriously, seriously, <Jesus>. oh my gosh. <laughs> And none of these kids have ever acted before. Yeah. Yeah. Wild. That's and, insane. And uh, they were not given the full script beforehand. Right. And it was shot chronologically so to like, so that the kids had a more authentic reaction to everything that was happening in them. And I right. thought that was like such, so such smart. incredible directing, like kind of, yeah, kind of totally. devious, but like, yeah. <laughs> I think, <laughs> I think it worked out well. As much violence as they are surrounded by and just sheer brutality all of the scenes of the kids just playing and just being kids were so gorgeous. So endearing, too. And <laughs> such a great juxtaposition, because I think that that, that right. kind of magical realism, and I think this is what she does better than Guillermo del Toro, is to show that kids are kids no matter what. Right. It's a, It was such like a reality exactly. check, almost, because this sort of violence was real, and 
yet like, you know, kids are kids, no matter where in the world they are, no right. matter what their circumstances. Yeah. And I, I feel like in other movies, there's always like the, there's a character that's really innocent in the beginning, something bad happens, they toughen up and then they're just tough for the rest of the movie. Like in The Devil's Advocate, they just were tough and they just had to be tough the whole time. And the interesting aspect behind them coming back to them be- being, I guess, acting like kids, acting like their age is so telling as to reminding us as viewers like, oh, shit, yeah, that's right. These are kids right. that we're watching. Like, we, like we, we it, it's a beautiful reminder to let us know that, remember, these are kids going through this real stuff right now. These are right, children right. having to deal with this. And it just was such a telling film. And it was actually the fifth film that we've ever covered on Nightlight. And oh. it, it, it's something that is just so just painstakingly beautiful at us realizing that we are watching children having to do things that adults shouldn't even have to do. And it's just, right. it's, oh my God. It's just, gosh, shout out to Isa Lopez. Oh my God. <laughs> I know, seriously. Shout out to Isa I Lopez. Feel like That's all I can say. <laughs> significant too that like, as much as we compare it to the Goonies or... Um, like Lost Boys kind of deal, that the different thing about this movie is that adults aren't just absent, but they are actively dangerous. Right, they're the threat. coming for these, yeah, coming for these kids. So the fact that they're able to like retain their humanity and still, you know, they could very easily just decide to join up with the gang, you know, but these kids know in their hearts that that is not like, that is not the thing to do. That is not the right path. Yeah, it's interesting because I so I was thinking a lot about like kids as a lens and as a viewpoint, and it was like, does it, like, does it trivialize the sort of the situation and the violence? Does it, you know, does it make it seem like this sort of like playland, or does it like make it more real? You know, like where are the adults? <laughs> like why? Right. Where are the adults? Right, and 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 it's very interesting even like thinking about that because it's very much like if children of the corn that's pretty much like the main concept that i always um kind of gravitate towards is children of the corn minus them being maniacal killers um but (laughs) with with that in mind because i I think about the teenagers a lot like if i if the teenagers were the ones that we were watching versus these kids like this would be an entirely different movie this movie would probably be a lot more brutal even um but with with the pain stakes that we see these children going through and how you kind of see these mysteries and and just everything just kind of evolve and dissolve but it's it's so beautiful seeing how ghosts are even i guess spoken upon especially in mexican folklore and it's it's just it's beautiful it's absolutely beautiful. It's terrifying. Don't get me wrong. It's very scary. Right. Um, but it is beautiful on how the communication happens, how everything just felt like it, 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 even though it felt like it was danger, it was truly help. And it was truly, truly a guardian angel for Astrea. And I think with the, even the ghost design in general, with the way that everyone is kind of presented and um, and I, I mean like all the dead people are presented within this film, we see them the way that they died. And that is so, so incredible storytelling to me. 
and it's just giving us by by beat for beat which is why i'm very confused as to why they said the middle section of this film was slow i'm just like (laughs) how 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 was that slow especially like if like the comparisons that we see with pan's labyrinth and so on and so forth those are so such longer movies like you can't like this movie is an hour and a half like (laughs) and it flies by efficient (laughs) yeah it flies by I, again, I I disagree. So I'm just like I don't yeah. know why you would ever think that this movie is very good. <laughs> it is very I don't good. Know, I don't know if either of you have seen the show uh, Thirty Coins. Have you heard of that show? Uh, I have not. Mm-mm. Thirty Coins. That, uh, that's going to be your homework. Uh, Thirty Coins. Hopefully, you don't treat me like Jonah. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> Thirty Coins is a show on HBO, and it's it's uh, based in Spain, and that show has action almost in every well not really necessarily action it's just more so it's a ghost story i guess but there's so many different layers to it and i feel like what the complaint is for those people that show i guess would give them what they were actually looking for Mm -hmm. which isn't a bad thing but at the same time it's just i I think you hit the nail on the head robin where you said they just didn't sound like they understood what they were kind of getting themselves (laughs) into it it just they were expecting horror creeping out of every single orifice from this film and it's just right that's that's not what this film's trying to portray that's not what this film's trying to say and it's it's very much i feel like the same issue that guillermo del toro has with his films as well where we started off with the devil's backbone which was a terrifying ghost story that was also extremely sad (laughs) and then from him moving on to that you get something like the crimson peak and then it's just like well i don't really understand this and it's a gothic horror film and everyone was expecting the devil's backbone or pan's labyrinth or something like that and it's just it's just nope that's not it doesn't fit neatly into your idea of horror (laughs) sorry like come on gosh go watch chronos chronos wow what a movie Are you having a hard trouble staying awake or writing a five-star review for Bunk 237 on Apple Podcasts? I'm so sleepy. But we want to write this five-star review. Fuck you. Satan! You pick me up. Drink Red Devil Energy Drink. What's in it? Shut up. Stop asking Satan questions. Red Devil Energy Drink. It gives you demon wings. I will say that this kind of leads into my first badge, the Once Upon a Time badge. Ah. Because <laughs> the, the fairy tale frame of the movie is so strong to me. And it's not just about like the, ki- the stories that the kids tell themselves and that, they, that spread throughout the community. That's so important for them. And I feel like in, in this world, storytelling functions more as like, Instead of an escape from reality, it's like a way to distill reality and to explain what's going on because what's happening is so nonsensical and so violent and so um, unexplainable that storytelling for these kids is like the way to survive, kind of. Mm-hmm. And then that's so masterfully like frames the whole movie and the whole movie itself is sort of a fairy tale. Yeah. And I think that's what people didn't understand <laughs> is that it was a fairy tale. I agree. It wasn't, you, know, <laughs> you know, there's uh, there's that It's a fairy tale scene. that includes ghosts. <laughs> uh, 
Those are our favorite fairy tales. We love ghost stories. <laughs> yes. Uh, also the only fairy tales. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Wait, hold up. Are all fairy tales ghost stories? <laughs> There's that scene um, when the two like other boys uh, that aren't Shine, aren't Morrow, and they're they're talking about like the sort of the urban legend of the gangs, and they're talking about mm-hmm. how they think they're all Satanists. They take women and children away, um, and then they eat them and they're Satanists. And I'm thinking right. about that scene because I realize it's like, you know, in this world, these kids aren't, they're not reading the newspaper. They're not looking at Twitter, you know, like right. their sort of news or concept of what's happening around them is sort of this oral storytelling of them passing back and forth, you know, these tales and these legends. And the idea that they, as children, think that like the gang leaders are Satanists and how things sort of work in your head when you're a kid and you just believe it because you don't know better. Totally. Right. And I even, to add to that, like the, the way that they film this particular movie in general where Astrea is the only one that kind of sees these ghostly figures or has these ghostly relationships except for one time where we see Shine have one inside of Astrea's house. And mm-hmm. it's, it's so telling on how I guess the, the figures I guess move through and, and, and things like that within the cracks and crevices of this film and the blood just being the, the representation of I guess them coming is just so mm-hmm. so 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 good and the whisper it's is so just, good oh man we'll get to my badges <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> We can alternate. You go. You go for it. Oh, you sure. Oh, I will. I will throw mine in the hat. My yeah. badge is the Scurry Ghost Badge, S C U R R Y, because they these were some scary ghosts. Like the the bag <laughs> is just so terrifying. Like it is very what, scary. It is I scary. Have a whole conversation with myself, Prince. I'm not sure if you're aware, but my husband Shane, who produces this podcast, mm-hmm. is not a fan of horror movies. Oh, he can watch some, but he can't watch others. Okay. And the entire time watching this movie, I was like, "Would he be okay with it? Like, like he? <laughs> it's such a beautiful, heartbreaking story that yeah. I want him to see it. But these ghosts were like scary. Yeah, They're, those ghosts yeah. are like visually. Those yeah. are scary ghosts because... It's like, they don't really... There aren't a lot of jump scares. The one that got me was the hands coming out of the grate. Oh, yeah. Oh, Estrella's. sure. That, uh, yeah, that was great. Yeah. That was lovely. Um, not the, ha- not the hand through the cup of noodles. That wasn't... That, that oh, the hand through the cup of noodles was a good one. That was a good one. Um, <laughs> but generally, they're kind of creeping around, you know? Yeah. Um, but I, they are. It was quite some, some, some good graphic stuff. Absolutely. When we get to the end, when they're like the dead body closet, like mm-hmm. where it's all of them. <laughs> That's a great way to put it. Yeah, the dead body closet. <laughs> yeah, that big old closet of dead bodies. <laughs> you know I, mean? I mean, he opens the door and it's just like, oh, it's okay. Just closet of dead bodies here. <laughs> Who left this? <laughs> and like, I don't want to sound weird, but I'm like, wouldn't you want to do something else with all those bodies? I mean, I don't know. You're killing a lot of people. I'm not trying to micromanage Fair. your gang or whatever, but this <laughs> right. seems like not it's gotta smell. the best way to dispose of your bodies, uh, especially because they come and get you later. <laughs> right. Right. I guess for them, it, it probably, and now, now I feel like we're digging, but that's okay. <laughs> I love this shit. Um, but I think, I, I think for them, they probably weren't like, like since they pretty much own the law enforcement there, 
that they're just like yeah, right. if, even if we worried. left it on the street like they probably wouldn't do anything it, and it's right, just right. we get that yeah. when pops and tootsie talk to uh those two that, that those cops yeah that yes. that leads to one of my badges which is the badge the, it up yeah the a cab award which is Whoa. all cops <laughs> suck like, you're just like oh yeah no acab just that know. means them too when the two you kids just know when they're walking up to that uh, car, you know, right? especially because it's, the other kid, like Shine, was it Shine? I think called it out it where Shine, it was yeah. like, uh, when you, when the kids anything. are like, "Who catches yeah. killers?" and his exact line is like, "I don't know, but not cops." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, "That's right, He's little boy. Wrong. That's right." It's funny because we see this a lot in horror films: how to disarm the police, like like what Black Christmas. Right, the police car behind, in in front of the house in Black Christmas, and then the, oh, yeah. the cop is decapitated, and right, then right, right. and then you you have you have it in Halloween and so on and so forth. Yeah. But beyond Tucker that, and Dale versus Evil, it, exactly. <laughs> right. it, it, that's always like a factor within horror films. How do we disarm the police to make this be scarier? Because the police is supposed right. to be everyone's safety net. Supposed to um, be, yeah. And in reality, we know that like that's not yeah. always true, right? With that being said, this was the most incredible way to disarm this because it was just like, oh shit, the police don't even care. Like, and it, it was real too, right? You yeah, know, th- this is a real problem. There exactly. are no adults in this world that will help them. Exactly. I usually do like a body count, you know, like when I'm wa- when I'm like watching these movies and taking notes, I'm yeah. usually like, okay, death number one, death number two. But my body count turned into like a heartbreak count. Because like, <laughs> oh my god, one of my badges is the oh no badge because of how many times I wrote oh no in my notes. <laughs> I, I I felt that, Robin. I felt that. <laughs> yeah. Oh my uh, god. Yeah. I literally kept being like, oh, no, Shane, oh, no, Morrow, oh, oh no. Morrow's, I wrote down Morrow's many deaths. Like, because when he first got kidnapped, I thought he was dead then, mm-hmm. you know? It was just like, yeah. oh, yeah, I, mm-hmm. I, I did an oh, no. Like, oh, no, Morrow, he's getting kidnapped. My heart, like, in my throat, because he's <laughs> so sweet. But then he survived, you know? Australia went and saved him, and I was like, oh, whew, okay, all right. And then when he gets shot. <laughs> Bro, <laughs> my heart. Like every single time, like I see that because like I even when I put the movie on and I was like, why did I request this? Like, I don't know if I'm (laughs) ready for this heartbreak again. Like, why did I request this? But I I jumped in. I jumped into it full fledged. My wife was sitting right next to me. She also does not like horror movies as well. And um, could she watch it? Did she watch it? No. All right. She did not. She she was sitting there and she was just (laughs) as soon as the first ghost happened, she was like, "Okay." Got it. <laughs> Phone time. Like she was just like, I'm not, not into this, not into this. But she wanted to hang out with her husband. And I was like, this is the only way. Um, <laughs> <That's nice. laughs> so when I chose this, I for, I didn't forget about the heartbreak, but it was just so interesting to see it happen. And because this was my fourth time watching this movie, and when I watched it this fourth time, I was just. So thinking and looking at a whole bunch of different aspects of different things of like more actually of the adults because I, I I tend to do that where I watch films repeatedly. I watch it in a different point of view and I watch it in the adults point of view this time. When you see this first death happen and them saying that like pretty much all the all the boys were saying like, oh, no, she'll be fine because they don't want little girls. They want little boys and, and things like that. And, and, and it was just like, oh, OK, like, are we are we getting into obviously we're getting into territory of, of molestation and things like that. But with how 
this guy is taking these children to kind of sell them for I don't know what I don't know for what sex trafficking or whatever the case may be but even that whole aspect of this film where you're just you're getting little hints here and there which actually I guess um, goes to my next badge um, which is the make-believe badge <laughs> and love it this particular section is where you see everything being transpired but it's touched on just slightly like we know drugs mm-hmm. are involved we know um uh human trafficking is involved we know um just just a whole bunch of gang shits involved in general it's just like them killing people and so on and so forth and yet these kids have found a way to kind of be afraid of that but change that to something a little bit more in some ways um spiritual Oh. Because they were just, as you said as well, to you, where it was just like they, they very much were telling like, oh, these people are devil worshippers and all this whole other stuff. And um, which is probably very real for them. And who knows? They probably are. Right. But right. they never went into that physically. We just knew that Chino was a cold ass motherfucker. <laughs> like, <laughs> we just knew he was cold and he just did not care about anybody, including his own crew. And it's just fairy telling. But um, it was how these children would react to it that made it so fascinating. Yeah. And that makes this story so incredible to watch. And I think that's why I've watched it so many times is because of how these children are within this film and it's it's just it's so telling yeah so telling i feel i so i feel like i have a companion badge to your make-believe badge yeah which is what i call the calvin and hobbs badge oh nice yes because it was such i mean such for me like an obvious like the metaphorical allegorical kind of like really philosophical pairing of like this orphan with his like Mm make-believe tiger and especially at the end when the tiger comes to life i guess they're both dead but (laughs) when they're when the little ghost tiger and little which all also very adorable very adorable (laughs) ghost tiger and very adorable ghost boy um but even you know in, in the sense of even in like just the calvin and hobbes world how they explained big world things through this like child's imagination, I felt mm-hmm. like that was a very like a, a lot of parallels there for me with Morrow in this and his like yes. plush, that he can only talk through his little tiger. Right. So cute. I have I have two similar badges actually. Oh. <laughs> While you went Calvin and Hobbes, I went a uh, terrifying Ted badge for the <laughs> stuffed animal come to life, like that Mark Wahlberg movie yeah. when he's the teddy bear who That's has a foul mouth yes. and like falls in love with a human woman. <laughs> um, we should. This should just be like a plushy trophy of like right. it should. Ted and Hobbes. And I like, actually have like three related badges so oh. the terrifying ted badge and then the not so subtle badge because tigers are literally everywhere <laughs> in this movie yeah very explicitly real heavy-handed real heavy-handed but it like totally works because mm-hmm. that's fairy tale you know like it, these these morality tales these that are, that have like concrete messages and the at the end mm-hmm. like it's so overt and it totally works. And I think it also works because they're kids and because right. this is sort of how kids operate and, and function and learn 
um, and they're grasping onto things that they know and love, like animals and yeah. you know the the qualities associated with a tiger. That yeah. actually went close to my badge as well, which was graffiti artists. That was that was my, yes. that was one of my badges as well. Yeah, little yeah. shine's a fucking fantastic little artist. Oh, that he was guy. awesome. He was awesome, and that, I loved how he he did it to commemorate his friends and to commemorate yeah. his yeah. gang and and things like that. And oh. It's just like that marble mural was. I didn't even fantastic. think about that, but that mm-hmm. is like so true yeah <laughs> like i just was like oh god just like expressing himself through his art right i also like that he was the little art critic with that soccer ball the one that australia drew <laughs> that's right uh that he said looked too much like cacao and then he just stabbed it which just <laughs> also feels like unchecked male aggression you're like hey boy like <laughs> just like but then he tried to like follow up with like oh here's this here's this ball that i drew for you with this tiger on it right. that'll keep you safe right. which leads me to i guess this would be a follow-up badge which is the Accidental Tiger Award. Because mm. uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but originally the the animal in the movie was a zebra. Yes. Um, oh, I did not know that. Yeah. Uh, there are uh, a couple of interviews that I read uh, with, uh, with Issa Lopez uh, where she talks about originally she sort of had this idea to have like a zebra show up in the scene. And it wasn't even as prevalent at that time. This was right before filming. But the producers couldn't get a zebra couldn't ethically source a zebra and they had offered her a donkey painted like a zebra uh (laughs) which she said no thank you uh they offered her a hippopotamus and she thought that that would be way too comical so she said no thank you uh and then they came up with a tiger and like that that was when the sort of everything kind of spun in her head and then she realized that she could weave this whole theme of tigers throughout the thing and really tie the whole story together with the sort of the the power of tigers, the fearlessness of tigers, but also, you know, just like everything I feel like came together. So this sort of, you know, this sort of like accidental tiger turned out to be this huge driving force in the movie, which I think is such a cool story about filmmaking. I absolutely agree. It's, it's the way that they weave the whole, tiger aspect throughout this film is just wow and it's it's very it's very much just like like pointing gif but at the same time it's just such a such a interesting way to let us know and once again that reminder to let us know like hey these are kids this is their gang right the, the tigers are not afraid and they even say that multiple times within the multiple film multiple times and i mean they even i think at one point there's he's like i am the tiger you are the tiger like, right. yeah <laughs> they exactly. just say it just but it, it totally works for yeah. me well yeah. i have a question because that got me to the to the end when the actual real physical tiger showed up how did you guys like that was that too much for me at that point i was like okay okay i get it <laughs> Right. I get it. When I first saw it, I was like, huh, is that tiger actually there? Yeah. And then I sure. read an interview or a, a review of the movie that says, oh, at the end of the movie, she comes across a tiger that's escaped the, the zoo. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that was not obvious to me. <laughs> but this reviewer seemed to think that it was a real, a tiger, real tiger who had escaped. Um, and that kind of made me like it more. Really? Because... I don't know. It was a reminder that like she's still in this place, in this place, this dangerous because place. Because then the very last scene, she opens the door into that big green garden, yeah. and then all of the color gets super saturated. Right. Mm-hmm. 
Very, very clever cinematography. Right. But also that felt like, was that real? Or was that like, is she just doing this like descent thing in her brain where she's like, you know, this she's is like so free of this evil. Yeah. Because my main question that actually occurred to me in the scenes with the with the stuffed tiger that came to life and then mm-hmm. again in the ending is what was real that right. of you know in the movie and then but then the second part is does it matter does that question even matter in a story like this and a film like this that is a fairy tale mm-hmm. that whose goal was to you know create this emotional experience like does it matter what was real and what wasn't real you know it's interesting you bring that up because i think it it does and doesn't because it's so wounded into the reality of everything that with the tiger i first first and foremost i don't believe it was there I, I do think that was definitely in her mind. Um, and, and I try not to make things sadder, but to make things sadder, I, I actually think she didn't survive. I know. Oh, no. I, I had that thought, too. Yeah. I was like, oh, no. Cause, yeah, cause so there's I, no way she actually walked into that field. Right. You know, like, the into field that, like, totally was fake. And, and sort of paradise. It felt like Garden of Eden. Like, she was right. walking into heaven. And, like, it, right. it, it's just... It, I don't think she survived. And I, I, I think... When the fire happened, pretty much, I I think either one, she got caught in it or she was shot with shine. I think you're right. In reality, maybe she didn't survive. The moment that like caught me was when right before shine gets shot, when she puts the chalk mark on his face Mm -hmm. to like protect him and then it doesn't work. And then you're like, well, (laughs) this is fake. (laughs) It's like, well, great. This was bullshit. My teacher just uh, lied to me. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I this so I have I have a badge uh, for that, which I call the reverse monkey paw badge. Ah. They lay it out pretty early on that you're supposed to be careful what you wish for. Right. But if you think about it, everything that she kind of wished for did kind of come true to help her out. Yeah. In I the mean, end, even even with shine. Yeah. Like right. She wished that his scar would go away. I mean, and technically got shot. Technically, in his scar. it got shot off his face. Right. So. <laughs> but it did lead ultimately to the demise of Gino and the big fire and maybe everybody died so which I hope. guess is good so I guess hope. yeah right. <laughs> I don't want her to die now I'm yeah. sad I kind of hope I, hope I know I, I hope I'm I don't wrong know. I hope I'm wrong no I if, think you're right though <laughs> I, I especially because of the the yeah. fire right especially because Shine of the fire couldn't have started that fire he was a ghost right? Right. yeah he was a ghost and I don't think she would know how to navigate quickly out of that location to even escape that fire yeah you're right oh yeah. no so i don't know oh, that's i just <laughs> i just had another oh no she's dead yeah so I, I don't i don't think honestly i think the only survivors were tuxie and pop because they well even then they because they ran away they ran, they ran away, away but they were still inside right like we don't know if they ever made it out or not oh boy prince just coming on just just killing just what everyone. i do <laughs> <laughs> I got the sense, too, that those two, like, couldn't survive on their own. You know, like, even if they made it out, like, they were not long for this world. You guys. I know. I know. (laughs) It's so much sadder than you thought it was. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, that's why I always tell people, like, this this movie is, like, incredibly heartbreaking. I did read that Issa Lopez originally had a different ending for the movie. Oh, really? What was the ending? That was more... Uh, explicitly sad. <laughs> Which might feed more into our theory then as oh to how boy. she might right. be actually dead. Right. I believe in the end, the kids that are left join up with the gang and then Estrella just walks out into the desert. Oh, wow. oh. 
Yeah, that shit's incredible. <laughs> wow. And people were like, you can't do that to us. <laughs> so she <laughs> tried to make it a little more hopeful, but maybe she tricked us I all. I think she tricked <laughs> and us. It's actually I think she absolutely sadder. tricked people us. People who didn't like this movie are so fucking <laughs> You heard it here. You're going to hear it everywhere else. You're fucking <laughs> wrong. This movie's great. This movie's great. Hey, Prince, you have anything to plug? That I do. Uh, I have a uh, podcast myself called Nightlight, a horror movie podcast on the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. That's also Night with a K. Um, and you can also hit me up on Twitter as well, at TheHeadNight as well. Um, and... Yeah, be on the lookout for more stuff from us. We're, we're going to be doing a lot of fun things coming up soon. Prince, thank you so much for coming on. Of this course. was so fun this and such a great. great time. Even though you crushed our <laughs> dreams about the end of this movie, I you so killed everyone. We still you appreciate You came on and just killed everybody. I did. I did. Yeah, everyone's <laughs> gone. <laughs> Yeah, no, but no, seriously, thank you so much. This has been an absolute blast. It it's, was very fun chatting about this film with the both of you, and I'm glad this was the first time you've both seen it, too, so that was really fun, too. All I needed was two people to tell me the word. <laughs> 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 Bunk 237, a horror movie podcast, stars Tiet Wen and Robin Zlotnick as the final girls of Bunk 237. And introducing Alex Skoke as camp director Susan Check. The show is produced by me, Shane Segretti. Our theme song is written and performed by Dan Zlotnick. And our outro music is written and performed by Axe Slasher. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and it may be featured on an upcoming episode. Have a badge of your own for this movie? Follow us on Instagram at Bunk237Pod and Twitter at Bunk237 and let us know. If you haven't already, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever podcasts are downloaded.